Welcome to the Heart of England Speakers Podcast. My name is Pierre and I'm your host. Come join our Toastmasters Club every first and third Tuesday of the week. Currently, we're doing this online at hotspeakers.org.uk for all the details. Uh, today on the podcast, I have a very special guest. She is our current speech champion. And everybody say welcome to Abby. Hello, Abby. Thank you, Pierre. That was a very nice introduction. Well, it's, it's the facts. You are our current uh, speech champion for our club, so you should be <laughs> proud of that. I never thought of it that way, but yes, it's an it's an honor to have that opportunity and a real nice experience too. And again, congratulations to you. That's pretty awesome. So first of all, Abby, we're going to you know try to get to know you better. So are you local from the Sallyal area? Did you grow up here? No, I am not local. I've, I've ended up here um, by default. <laughs> it was not <laughs> part of the plan. I just ended up here. Uh, I am a Leicestershire girl. I grew up in a village south of Leicestershire and uh, I, I, I got educated around the Leicestershire area. And then I moved over to Northampton area for my university days. And then when I was around 24, I ended up just booking a one-way ticket to Sydney, Australia, as you do. And um, my residency was in various countries around that area of the world. And then romantically, a lovely love story, I met someone and I ended up here in Sully Hole. And that's it. So it's a bit random and an, event, an adventure, but I'm, I'm very pleased and happy to be here. And it's a real privilege to be in this area. I do love it. And the people are so lovely too. That's very cool. All right, let's take this back a little bit, step by step. Okay, so you went to uni. What did you study? My background in health and well-being, that is my passion and interest. So I decided to study sport therapy. Um, I originally did some work before, so I didn't go into university when I was 18. I, I Luckily, I didn't choose to do that straight away. I decided to work in gyms be a personal trainer, uh, teach lots of studio classes because I love dancing and all that jazz. And I became fascinated with the human body. And uh, my my manager, my fitness manager at the time, he was a strength and conditioner and he, he's kind of used me as a guinea pig who teach me everything, which I'm very grateful for. And ultimately I wanted to learn more and I decided to do a degree in sport therapy uh, for three years at the Northampton University. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you book your uh, one-way ticket to Australia. Uh, where did you end up in um, Australia? What did you do? Uh, so it was Sydney. And my intention really was to find work. I wanted to start a new life. And um, yeah, I was like, oh, I didn't, you know, I wasn't very happy in, in England at the time. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go over to Sydney, Australia. Um, I have, I've got cousins over there. So that was sort of a reason why I ended up there as well. But I didn't know anyone. I just, I sort of booked a hostel and did this little package for two weeks, um, which involved lots of trips and, you know, meeting people. And then, and then really my intention after that was, oh, I need to get a job. Um, and then I ended up eventually becoming a club manager of a gym in, in part of Sully, um, sorry, in a part of Sydney, um, which was an experience. Yeah. And, and I landed, I, that took 10 weeks. So I was quite proud of that. <laughs> 10 weeks in a country I never knew. I don't know anyone. And I ended up being offered a job as a club manager, which was, which was cool. So stars nice. aligned. Yeah. How long did you stay in Australia? It wasn't that long. It was a bit of a journey in, my, in myself. I, 
it was only for six months. Six months. Um, yeah, because I, from that experience, I learned what I like and didn't like. And I really realized I love teaching. I love mentoring. I love just supporting people. And I didn't really like the sales and, and, and the operational sort of stuff. So I decided to go f- to become a English language teacher. That was my fastest way into a classroom because otherwise you'd have to do another degree and I didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I had this childhood dream that I wanted to go to Thailand. And you know the, the film The Beach with yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio? Mm-hmm. I can remember so vividly, I was sat in England, probably was about 10 years old, and I never used to go abroad. We always used to go Cornwall. So the idea of going abroad to a tropical place was like amazing. And I saw the beach and I was like, wow. And you know, Maya Bay, um, <laughs> where it's all shot. Yeah, it's uh, all overpopulated now. Yes. Oh, God, yeah. But uh, that was my dream. I was like, I've got to go there. And after the opportunity arose, I was like, I'm going to study my, my English language qualification in Phuket and go visit Maya Bay. And I did that. So Very that was nice. one of my bucket lists. So I ended up kind of uprooting from Sydney. And I went over to to Thailand for a little bit. How long did you stay in Thailand? So for that point, I only was there for the length of the course, which was only four weeks. Oh, wow. And then I went back to England (laughs) and I did a summer. So I did a summer camp. So that was my first experience teaching. I wanted to to really just immerse myself into getting experience. So I went down to Hastings and I taught for seven weeks in in a really intense experience as a summer camp teacher. Um, just working like day in and day out really but it was very good at it was like throwing me in the, the wrath the fire it's like I don't know what I'm doing but I've just got to get on with it and um, and from that point I needed to get another job after the summer camp I was mm-hmm. like, well what am I going to do and you, you speak to the other teachers and that they've done fascinating things you know teaching in Spain and Asia and one of the places is China now I had no intention to go to China but there were a lot of nice jobs over there and um, it was, seemed to be a nice bridge for me to be looked after. They had some nice programs over there. So then I sort of ended up in China. <laughs> Where in China? I ended up in, I was meant to be in Shenzhen, which is south of China, we're near Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when I was in China, they decided to locate me to Ningbo instead, which is south of Shanghai. Yep. And I ended up living at school there for 10 months and getting my experience in a government school. So it's really raw. It was very like, wow, like this is this is China, you know. So really- you got, yes, you want to, a, well, you know, the real China, not the tourist Shanghai, for example, right? No, yeah. And, and, to, be, and to be living in a government school, uh, it wasn't an international school. It wasn't all very pretty and like lots of English speakers or anything like that. It was... Yeah, it was pretty um, authentic, which was really nice. And I, I got to really experience authentic China and the culture. You're uh, pretty adventurous. That's uh, pretty hardcore to go to a Chinese state-owned school. It was. I think because, because it was sort of, um, there was a bridge between an agency in England and an agency in China. So for me, that it sort of, they looked after us. So mm-hmm. that's, but then you don't really realize what you're in for until you get there. Right. And um, that's where the art of communication and miscommunication sort of um, became more magnified. Yes, and- this is, uh, I think, the crux of our conversation. 
What do you feel is the, are the biggest differences in communication style between, you know, Western and Eastern civilizations, I guess? What's the biggest shock to you? Um, it's more about just speaking to, it's more about being the level of English. I'm not sure if it, there's different abilities in English because I've spoken to um, people in China that are fluent in English and they're, they're awesome at English. So I think it's more about just the, ability of, of your English language level as well. Um, likewise, in Thailand, the ability is, it depends on how well they've learned English language. Um, so it's, it's, it's very much, I have to think when I speak to non-native speakers of English that are in that process of learning to speak English, I have to really put my head on of what have they learned? What haven't they learned? What, what like, um, past, present, future grammar tenses have they learned, uh, vocabulary, and um, also idioms, inferring. So if I say something that's not literal, but it's inferring something that I haven't said, that's a real, real technical skill to learn uh, within another language. And it's a very advanced skill. So then yeah. I have to be very, very, very uh, mindful and diligent about how I, what words I'm specifically saying to, to this person and how are they receiving it? And could they be interpreting it in a different way? And yeah. often that can happen. And you realize, wow, I've just said something. They don't understand it. It's not because it's not because they're in the wrong. It's just like, I'm having to really rewire and rethink how I'm how I'm putting this across. Yeah, I, I'll do a, a quick story. I was on a conference call a few years ago with colleagues in China, and I was pulled in so many directions. So when they asked me on the phone, how are you? And I said, well, oh, geez, very popular, meaning that my time was taxed all the time. And I just heard crickets. And I'm like, I don't think they got that. <laughs> so, I can totally understand what you're saying about being clear about what you say, because what's clear to you is not necessarily clear to them. If there's a, all right, obviously, I'm sure there have been some difficult times, but if you can think of one, if there's one thing that sticks in your mind that was really difficult, and also on the flip coin, what's the best thing you got from that experience? Oh. Many that one specific thing that that was difficult to communicate with, um, even like when I was traveling around in China, and I can remember when we were trying to go to the Beijing, uh, the Great Wall of China, and we ended up in a different location because of miscommunication, or um. What I noticed as well in China that there's not a lot of signs that are in English. Um, so that's another challenge to, to, to travel around China is all in Chinese uh, or pinyin, which is the uh, the English sort of Roman Roman alphabet of, of Chinese. And um, I can remember it was on Christmas Day. And I, luckily, I was with 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 one of my friends who, who was studying Chinese. So she was quite good at that. But even her even her ability to speak, speak Chinese, what I found as well within the culture, and I think this might be going off track with with, with your question, but sometimes we don't. Um, in Asia, they like to to keep you happy, or like you know, um, they don't want to upset you as much. So sometimes people tell you things that aren't true, but they just want to say something to keep you happy. I like I think perhaps something happened where we're trying to communicate, like which bus do we go on to get to the Great Wall? This 
part of the Great Wall of China. And I think they just kind of pointed to to one of the buses, but it wasn't, mm. perhaps they may have not kind of understood the question. Gotcha. Uh, and, and, and then we ended up like in a place that was not actually... <laughs> We, we had to get off it and we're like this is not where we're meant to be um so there's that as well I think there's a human behavior sort and I think also I experienced that when someone says something to me and I sometimes nod I'm like okay and then I'm like I don't understand what they say <laughs> I, I I do I just want to keep them happy and right and and just smile so that's another that's another sort of uh, I guess layer to communication and sort of the cultural habits that we have and particularly yeah. if you're a people pleaser and yeah. and 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 um so particularly in your case when you were having a meeting in china they, they don't part of it's like they just want to be polite yeah um and sometimes they will just kind of smile and they don't want to say anything so it, it, there's a lot of layers i think there's a lot of layers with 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 communication when we're speaking in two different cultures yeah. and uh, the level of English might be a bit compromised, depending yeah. on what. And also the accent as well. Ah, yes. Um, that's why speaking very clear and with those pauses and very clear articulation of each uh, word and vocabulary, that's very important because when you learn another language, you hear more of the standardized English, you know, the, the Queen's English. And it's How's your Mandarin, nice. by the way? Oh, <laughs> non-existent. <laughs> I get so embarrassed even saying ni hao because I know it's all, it's all tonal. I, I learned Thai a little bit and it's mm-hmm. all, obviously it's all very tonal. Um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a challenge in of itself that just getting your, just your, um, your articulation of the tones. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of like training another muscle. Yeah. yeah, you also have to remember that, you know, if you can't, if you think about it in China, your Google Translate might not work. You're, you know, the tools you rely on, let's say in Europe, you know, you catch an Uber, you have to catch a Didi, you use your WeChat. So it's a completely different alternate universe almost. So to, to think about how you operate in the Western world is really different than how you operate in China. Yeah, there's a lot of, for a foreigner, at least, there's a lot of, loops you have to go through it, it just takes ages sometimes it's like you have to do this and that and this and that and a lot of red tape and the one of the primary things that I learned from China is, is to be I had to be patient and it really I had from a philo- philosophical point of view I learned not to get angry or frustrated or bring my own metric system of like how it should be or what I think or bring in a comparison of how it is in England to China I'm like no I am a guest in China yeah. it is a privilege to be here and I have to just um, go with the flow and it learned me just to it, it taught me to just go with the flow don't freak out and sort of let go and have fun and when you yeah. start doing that and you start living life like that things just fall into place anyway and it's quite fun uh so asia particularly has taught me just to i guess not take things too seriously and to um not freak out and to become more resilient and peaceful and present um particularly in thailand as well because that's a bit random nothing's really organized um it can be all particularly in a school it can be very 
um, lastminute.com and you're like, what's going on now? I don't understand. And there's so much break. There's a lot of breakdown in communications. Often as a foreigner, we don't get communicated as much too. Um, people just are like, the systems aren't really there in place for it. And um, you're sort of left in the unknown a lot. And I'm so now I'm used to kind of feeling like that. I, I don't quite understand the bigger picture, but I'll just go with what I have and just do my best at that. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, uh, those are actually pretty wise words to go with really yeah. well. Yeah. Okay, so that brings it to England, right? And about communication. And that brings us back to Toastmasters. As uh, that was being uh, more clear in your communication, was that the uh, crux of why you started Toastmasters? Interesting one. I wanted to, I wanted to to uh, start Toastmasters in Phuket, when I, where I lived in Thailand, the island. Unfortunately, I lived south of the island and the Toastmaster Club was the north of the island. And mm -hmm. being on a scooter, that's not ideal. <laughs> it's about an hour or so on a scooter, which is wow. not great. Yeah, you think an island's not very big, but it, it is. And there's main roads and stuff. So that wasn't really an option. Um, so when I moved to Sully Hall, uh, I had just done my NLP train, the trainer course in, in Bangkok. And uh, I wanted to improve the way I presented and how I delivered trainings and things like that. And I heard about Toastmasters a lot from, you know, typically in, in the personal development um, community, which I was involved with, you do hear Toastmasters quite a lot. It kind of pops up. Um, so my intention was to help my, to help, to get my message across to people and just to to, I guess, that personal growth. I didn't really know exactly why I wanted to go into Toastmasters. I didn't really know what to expect, but I knew that it was a good club or something for me to do that mm -hmm. was good in the area. And I, I think it was just more upon, upon intuition. And I've always had this uh, this urge or this, this, this kind of hunger to keep on learning. I'm a bit of a learning junkie. Um, so it was just another thing that I could do. And ultimately... I've actually, the things that I thought I wanted from it, actually, I've got other things out of it that I didn't realize I needed, but I do need. Um, okay. Actually, so when did you join? I, I joined just over two and a half years yeah, ago, two and a half years ago, around that March time. Yeah. You said you can get other things from Toastmasters. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I ended up plonked into the committee after a few months of being in Toastmasters. And I had no idea what a committee was. I had never been involved in a nonprofit organization or a club like this. And I've never been in the corporate world either. I've always kind of worked in gyms. It's always been casual. I've not really worked in a professional sort of atmosphere, as it were. And uh, so the systems and the formalities and getting used to English culture again, which is something different because I'm very adept to Asian, Asian culture. And I was just go with the flow and, you know, see what happens and whatever. And then going back into the formalities of Western uh, culture, actually, I was like, oh, God, I need to learn how to like be, you know, sort of English again which <laughs> is um, a bit strange it's like fish out of water and I have to sort of get back into it again and um yeah so it was it the committee I I did it because again I sort of had that innate thing like oh I like to help out I'll try I had no idea what I was doing I didn't again the idea of a committee and the, the, the logistics of everything and even leadership I'm like oh leadership what's that like, <laughs> I don't know, I've never been taught this sort of stuff and I, I fell into the role of the the secretary secretary and then um 
in the VPM, the vice uh, president of membership. And I sort of realized that I was quite good at admin and, and, and doing all that sort of stuff. And then I started to understand how, how a club was run and the bigger um the bigger picture of toastmasters and then i and now it's now magnified like oh leadership and and i'm like oh i'd like and even though i am i'm very good at, i realize i'm very good at leading myself but oh, the idea of leading other people because i don't have that opportunity in my job while I'm, i work remotely i'm quite isolated i work with people around the world but i don't necessarily have a big team that i'm leading and what i love about toastmasters is that it gives you this opportunity to do that because some there's a lot of people that don't have those opportunities because of whatever work that they're in and um, it, it gives you that space to experiment and to have a go at it. And I'm now into that into that sort of phase where I'm like, oh, I want to develop my leadership and understand how do I communicate with other people and empower them. And um, I love just how that there's opportunity to do that within Toastmasters. Yeah, as the uh, VP for PR myself, I mean, there are things that I've done. It's like, oh, eh, you know, it's really cool. PRs and reaching out to people and putting flowers out. I mean, you don't do that. I don't do that in my regular job. So yeah, it's a, I totally understand where you're coming from. It's a really nice space to explore and it gives you freedom to explore. And also it shows you that to run a club, it's actually a lot happens behind a curtain. You're like, geez. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And it's, it's, I see it as like a kind of like a playground. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a professional playground, but it's, it's a playground. Like, you can have fun with it and there's no pressure that you're not going to get fired. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and you can't really fail at it or anything. You just got to do your best. And mm. uh, that's what I love, uh, love about it. And yeah, it gives you that space to do things that you don't normally do. And then ultimately, if you like it, then it may lead into other things and you might want to change your direction with your career and stuff like that. So that's yeah, absolutely good advice. Uh, Abby and I have a little history uh, a couple of years ago, I was actually the uh, one of the hosts for our uh, club contest on table topics, which Abby entered bravely. And I asked a question that I thought was really topical, and I thought everybody would have an opinion, but ended up stumping poor Abby completely. Did you want to talk about that? <laughs> <laughs> the dreaded B word, Brexit. Yes. Brexit and the de- dreaded P word, politics. It was an interesting one because from my perspective, because I'd lived in Asia for quite a while, uh, about three years, I was Uh, kind of... Hold on a second. Yeah. So I asked, you know, if, if, let's say if the Queen asked you to address the people of England about Brexit, what would you tell them? At the time, we were in the full Brexit media. So I thought everybody would say, you know, black or white, in or out or something like, you know, be neutral. But it ended up completely stomping Abby. And for that, I feel very, really sorry to this day. Please go on. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 I can remember when I read it over, I was very perplexed. I'm like, I don't know. And like I was saying, because I'd lived in Asia for like three years, the, the Brexit came about when I was not in the country. So I was very disconnected with it. And then when I re-entered, you know, living in England, I still wasn't very into the politics. I wasn't quite, um, it wasn't my area of interest at that point. And and actually, it's one of those uh, topics where I'm, I'm like, I have no idea what to say. And it was very chunked down. It was a very chunked down Pacific topic. So my tactic, and luckily I I started talking, and I while I was talking, I didn't know what I was going to say next. 
which is a skill in of itself as a table topic. You have to just go with it. And luckily, I ended up chunking it up, mainly making it very, very broad and just generally talking about politics around the world. And uh, I think my final message was unity or something like that. <laughs> it was very spiritual. Yeah, totally fine. Uh, yeah. And, um, but that, even though that sort of was, wow, that, that was a really abrupt, it really disturbed my pattern of how I go into things, which was nice because that night when I went to sleep, I was so inspired because I observed how I reacted. I observed my ego. I was, uh, I observed my behavior and how I perceived it. And from that, that quite traumatic experience, it actually birthed a very nice uh, speech from, from what I learned from that. And, you know, yeah. So in of itself, even though it may, I may not, you know, have won or um, done very well from a, from a Toastmasters table topic contest point of view. From my own personal growth, it actually accelerated and kicked me up the ass, if you could say that, uh, and actually woke me up a bit more consciously. So thank you, Pierre, for that amazing disruptive question. And this is what life is about. We need to become disrupted. Yes. to 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 wake ourselves up and to really oh okay because we've got a lot of blind spots we've got a lot of shadows going on inside us and we need these challenges and part part and that's what toastmasters can bring forward yeah. with us too and it's so interesting so from my perspective when i when i formulated topic in my head i was like oh everybody will have an opinion you know obviously but in your case it's quite obvious that you did you really could not form an opinion really or be neutral so that's also a very interesting um, point of view okay so again so you learn from that experience and i remember your speech about the experience that was really good and then you decided you entered this year's contest so and uh, i recall you rehearsed that speech in one of our clubs so can you what can you tell us about that speech the first time you you spoke about it yeah crack yourself open was the speech title and I might add, it is available on our podcast. So I would say, please check out Abby's uh, speech in its totality on our website. Yeah, and also the on the YouTube channel as well. It's on there. Yeah, and it's also actually on the uh, one of the training channels for evaluations. It's oh, everywhere. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, um, yeah. That that speech was, uh, it, I, like I said, it will. Like you said, I started off. Um, my first attempt of that speech was just in a general meeting as one of my pathway speeches and then that inspired me to just you know why not do it again in in the contest and it was a bit of a play around with the the zoom and uh playing around with props and and just having fun with that with that and it was was it was my first contest speech I've never done a speech in a contest so that experience was again eye-opening and I learned a lot about myself and I've I kicked myself up the ass again with that experience. I mean, I know when you won, you look really emotional and we were all really happy for you. What did it mean to you? Uh, to, to what? To win it? Yes. To, to win it. Um, I was very humbled by it. I try not to let I, I try my point of focus is about service and about just getting the message of that speech to other people. That's really what I, um, my point of fo- focus and intention is. And it's, it's a, the art of being humble and grateful 
um, and not let yourself get too, you know, like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good sort of thing. Uh, but it, it was nice. It was a nice experience. I, I feel like um, I, I may have had a bit of an advantage because I, I work online all the time. So I'm very used to the camera as well. So it's more of my domain of, um, of, of talking to the camera is sort of my forte, as it were. So you I know, thought- it's it's a brand new world. So that's one of your, one of the things you do well, you know, one of your uh, skills that you do well, you know? That's yeah. That's the world we live in now, so... Exactly. I mean, for people that are listening, I, I teach online. Um, I've been teaching online for, can we call it up to four years or so? Wow. Um, four years online. I teach over in China and I teach two groups, like 50 kids or so at a time. So I'm teaching maybe three, three, four hundred kids, students every week. That's impressive. Uh, yeah. And it's day like, you know, I could go up to seven, eight classes a day. So I'm on effectively I'm on stage. Everyone's looking at me. And so I have to really connect through the camera and uh, utilize it. So it, it's it's sort of programmed into me. And that intense experience that I've had over the past few years, is it, it did rub off on, into the competition. And I thought, oh, I'm going to use this to my advantage. All good. I think that's actually uh, really well done. Yeah. All right, our speech champion. Uh, is there anything, what would you tell people about Toastmaster? What, what's the one thing you would tell them about our club or about joining that means a lot to you? You know, the more I get involved with Toastmasters and even watching the contest yesterday and actually going beyond the club, there is more to Toastmasters than just the Heart of England Club. It's a, it's an international organization. Um, and we've got area, you know, we've got hundreds and hundreds of clubs all around the the the, the world. I've I, I've personally attended a few of them in in um in India, in Thailand, and and even the trainings that I've attended. I just I'm just amazed by how well this organization's put together and how much value it brings for what you know maybe 50 60 pounds for us personally like every six months for that membership there's so much value within it like you could go to Toastmasters every single day uh you can um you can attend all around the world now um and you get a, a very comprehensive learning program and support you've got continuous extra trainings uh, that, that the district brings forward you've got the contest that you can listen to absolutely amazing speakers and how inspirational they are and i'm like this is really really cheap for how much support and networking and uh and growth that you it is i've personally spent probably over like a ten thousand dollars on my personal growth like courses and stuff like that lots of money wow. toastmasters is probably the by far the, the most value and the most cheapest thing that i've i've committed to yeah and it's amazing. Um, it, 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 you can make Toastmasters work for you in your own personal story and your own personal platform. You don't have to be a business person. You don't have to work in a corporation. You can be just simply um, someone that's just, you know, having fun in life and thought, you know, I, I just want to kind of grow myself. And I just, uh, I'm just amazed by how much growth that I've gained out of it and the amazing people that I've, um, that I've met. So yeah, like to me, like 
Toastmasters really helps people peel away your layers and to actually come back home to yourself, which is ultimately why we're here on this planet from a spiritual point of view. And I think Toastmasters has a beautiful, well-orchestrated program uh, and systems in place for you, for, you, for you to do that at a very affordable price. Um, so yeah, that's my take on it. And I think if you really utilize it to its fullest capacity, uh, you, you, you can really just be unlimited with what you can do in the world. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's been it's one of the paradoxes of the pandemic, I think, because everything did move online, including us as clubs. But I mean, our club is doing that's not really well online. And as you said, you can't literally attend meetings all day, all week, like all the time. As something that was not necessarily available before. And yes, if you really want to practice and get better at speaking, not also speaking, but also listening, I mean, you have opportunities all day, every day. So it's, uh, it's been really good for Toastmasters, I believe. I personally think that now with the shift online accessibility and hybrid meetings, hopefully in the future, um, the fact that I went to a um, this, is it division division contest yesterday, I wouldn't have yep. been able to do that because it would have been far away. I wouldn't have yeah. attended a contest like that. It's my first time. And there was probably about 50, 60 people on, on watching. And I don't think that many people go to, to the contest, yeah. perhaps, because it's just not accessible. Um, so for me, the fact that it's been shifted online, the value of our memberships just skyrocketed. Absolutely skyrocketed. It, a lot, you know, back in the day, people would be quite remote to their actual cl club and they don't really want to venture far out of their club. But now, your world, literally your world is your oyster. And uh, I'm very looking forward to the forecast of and the future of Toastmasters because I think everything, even the, hopefully the contests, I'm fingers crossed, will become hybrid so that it's accessible for everyone. Um, so I don't really think there's any more excuses for not doing it no remotely, to be honest yeah like we could have put a lot of thing like oh we can't do that it's too technical this and that. i think no i think this is the future and yeah. i'm just so excited i think it's a really it's just made their organization a lot more um valuable in my eyes yeah yeah i believe in us as a club will whenever we can come back live i still believe we'll have hybrid capabilities but more on that to follow mm. well abby it's been a a great time spending with you. Uh, I know you're. Uh, I know you're well into uh, well-being and yoga. Uh, is there anything you like to tell our listeners where they can find you if they want to get in touch? Yeah, I love to. Sh I love sharing my stories and my experiences. And I'm a. I'm a coach and a, a teacher and a therapist. And the best place to find me and being my authentic self is would be on Instagram and and Facebook. So um. Abby Brinklow, A B B E Y B R I N K L O W. Abby Brinklow, uh, search me in um, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, there's only one of me in the world, which is quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> Very unique. Um, so it's easy, easy for me to, uh, for you to find. And yeah, if you're interested in my stories, I'm on, on a journey of sharing a lot of my content. It's about me personally and my stories. And I think that's the best way to, to connect with people is through storytelling. And that's what I'm doing right now. And I'd love to hear from you all. That's an excellent way to close. So thank you, Abby, for again, our speech champion. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our podcast. Again, we meet online currently the first and third Tuesday of the month 
please come join us for all details go to heartspeakers.org.uk once again a big thank you to abby you're welcome and until the next time catch you later Bye.